Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on transformationtalkradio.com. Welcome Transformation Talk Radio listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart and I am the Pushy Broad from the Bronx. Welcome to our show, Recovery Recharged, where I sit here with Dr. Pat and we yep. talk about some amazing things. Right, Doc? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love this. Ellen, you know, like, let me just say this. I was talking with Carrie in the last show and Carrie talks about Get Big Out Loud. What you're doing and the way that you've brought this forward now in such a devastating time of need, this is get very big out loud. You have taken your life's work and what you've done is you've said, wait a minute, this is, we've got to go big here. People need help and it's all aspects of help. And what you've done in stepping forward and the people you're helping and folks may not know this cause we're going to get rolling in a minute. So I just want to say, if you are out there and you are yourself or you know someone that needs help in recovery, you need to be looking at getting recovery recharge, whatever aspect of that is. This is the passion and the purpose of Ellen Stewart. You know, this is a woman that has come into this arena early on and said, we need to help people on a personal level. This is not a one-size-fits-all. Uh, addiction is not a one-size-fits-all. Recovery is not a one-size-fits-all. And the emotional stressors of COVID-19 is not a one-size-fits-all. And so I have had the pleasure of working with Ellen now for you know moving into this year here. And we have gotten beyond and changed the topics and are addressing what is heavy on your heart? Today's show is another one. And I needed to thank you out loud for that. Pushy broad from the Bronx. Thank you so much. I couldn't have done it without your support. And we are coming right up November 1st on our one year anniversary. Yes, we and are. we have just continued and we're going into our second year. So I'm really thrilled about that. And Me when too. you talk about dedicating my life, we have someone with us today who has also dedicated his life. You know, we talk about the, the, the OGs of this industry, of the addiction and recovery industry, and we have someone today that is going to talk about something that is another part of addiction and is brand new in, in this millennium, things that we've never had to deal with before. And we are discussing today the truth about vaping with a very dear friend of mine and someone that has been in the industry as long as me, Mr. Brad Lamb. Hi, Brad. Hi, Dr. Pat. So there are a few things that are going to happen. First of all, Brad discusses his brand new book, 
Quit Vaping, your 28-day program to stop smoking e-cigarettes. So we're going to learn about what's going on there and how difficult it is to, um, to stop and what are the new, what's the new science around it and how to talk to parents about their kids vaping as well. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say something, and Brad, I, I know you're going to jump in on this. Um, folks didn't know what they didn't know about vaping. But then there were folks that knew about vaping. And now we're in a whole new world of blending hearsay with science and understanding the magnitude of this. And so I am thrilled that you're going to be here talking about the truth about it. Well, there was a, a time when we were about to release the book, Pat and Ellen, and, you know, Vaping was certainly uh, a conversation point. I, I think back to about just about a year ago, I was acquainted with a, a fellow from uh, Michigan. He was then 17. He became the world's uh, youngest uh, double lung transplant because of his vaping uh, with just you know nicotine vaping. And uh, I, I kept seeing these warning signs and I'd been working on this book and, for a long time and uh, seeing more and more people vape and thinking, you know, God, I, sm I smoked for 25 years and the, the impact on my lungs after having stopped, you know, 15 years ago, um, it was something I was passionate about, about helping people, one, get educated about this thing that they knew so little about. But the, the, the thing about vaping is, if used as directed, it is potentially lethal, you know, if used as created, it's harmful to your lungs. That's even before uh, COVID. And so when I was launching the book and COVID was just starting to rear its head, I remember uh, I had a marketing meeting about the book and I thought, oh, this is the worst time to, uh, to launch a book. And, uh, but in any event, you never, you never know uh, how, how it will work out. It certainly has been a year full of mysteries uh, uh, that's for sure. But I think so many of us started uh, nicotine when we didn't know, you know, I, I, I actually, I would say I, I knew it wasn't good for you. It was post uh, Surgeon General's warning. I think I started in 1982 as a high schooler. Um, but then when I became, you know, addicted and suffered in with other things, meth and alcohol, I smoked a lot. I was a two pack a day smoker. I knew that it wasn't good for you. I knew that it caused 90% of lung cancers. Um, and then when, I, when, then when I got recovery, I knew that I had to stop. Uh, and I will admit, I do have a judgment about people in long-term recovery that continue to chain smoke or, or vape because I, I see that as just another self-harming behavior and addictive behavior that, God, if you'd give it a ch chance, you could probably uh, uh, be better to yourself with quitting. Was that ever a problem for you, Dr. Pat? Did you ever smoke? Yes, I did. But um, I am I'm that person that when I make my mind up to do something, I do it. And I remember, I don't know, was I 30? Uh, but I, I go way back. I mean, I go as far back as 12 years old. I mean, growing up on the streets in New York, if you didn't smoke, you just weren't it. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Now it's kind of the opposite, <laughs> um, but uh, smoking and drinking are like two peas in a pod. Uh, yeah, and so 
yeah. Uh, uh, fast forward to where we are today. But I, I was like, no, I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. And then, you know, I come from the generation where they did like you could smoke at work and then you couldn't. And it was like, oh, my gosh, this is like so much trouble. And I made my mind up and I stopped. I don't recommend that. Um, but, yeah, I was a three-pack-a-dayer. Do you remember when we would fly in a plane and oh. there was, the smoking section was right here and then the next row was the non-smoking section, which if you smoked, it was gravy. But if you didn't smoke, if you were 80% of the plane, it was the worst thing possible. Absolutely. I started at 14 and I smoked for 40 years and I stopped smoking on and off for years on and off. I stopped for a year, five years. I was running for a time. So I automatically stopped smoking. And I have to tell you, I'm the most guilty here of all of you because I just stopped smoking again this past March of 2020 because of COVID-19. I was so afraid that if God forbid I got that virus, that my lungs wouldn't be able to handle it so what we say is an instant that. motivator an instant motivator yeah. for me was i need to get myself as healthy as possible yeah. so was so when did you start to write this book brad tell us when the inception yeah. came about i i wrote a stop smoking book about seven years ago uh ellen and that book, um, I, I offered it as a curriculum and how-to for other treatment centers. And it, it was it, it was just something that I, I think that I wanted to do. It wasn't uh, it wasn't tied in with a book with a with a television show, which has often been how I've I've done other books. Um, but then you know, vaping the vaping book, I started getting really curious about it. Uh, five years ago, and I, I have a family member who works for one of the big tobacco companies, and I I heard stories about uh, all the money that they were putting into smoking remediation efforts, and you know, it was they were buying vape uh, uh, brands, and they saw this as the uh, way to stop their revenue quarter to quarter oh. from greatly diminishing, because you know a lot of smokers were. Uh, heeding the counsel of professionals and saying, hey, I've got to do something different. They had seen their parents and grandparents um, die from lung cancer, which is an incredibly painful, long, awful uh, uh, illness. If you're, if you're lucky, if, you, if you're not lucky, you know, it also causes mouth cancers, bladder cancer, intestinal cancer, brain cancer. Uh, it's linked to so many of the cancers that are the prevalent killers of our parents and and their grandparents because so many americans smoked you know it's about half of american men smoked uh at its height and um it was sexy it was uh, portrayed in media as uh a great way to stay slim uh you know it was marketed very specifically to women to be chic and shapely and it was promoted by doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals in advertisements. And, you know, there was nothing like it because it gave you a quick jolt and it also perfectly trained the brain to take another one in about 30 minutes. Right, it was also very glamorous, was it not? I mean, all of that glamour and, and, and in the movies and on TV, you know, and, the, and then they, they put out things specifically for women, like you said, it was a very glamorous thing. And you saw all, all the actors and TV personalities, everybody was doing that. And now that we had an alternative, 
People mm. thought that this would be their savior, right? Absolutely. Vaping was the alternative. And you know, it, it's interesting that nicotine is both a stimulant and a sedative. And so here's how it works. You inhale, the t nicotine hits your brain. It discharges epinephrine. That's that rush that's followed by the crash. It's depression and fatigue. It's a, and, and, and so nicotine is a fake way to self-soothe because it tricks you into thinking it's a positive when it's not. And it's just an addiction that drives you. Uh, you will feel less anxious once you stop. You will feel better uh, with your lung capacity and ability to breathe when you when you stop, I promise. But the addiction cycle is really powerful. You know, it, nicotine addicts more people on the planet than any, any other drug. So if you use nicotine, either with smoking or vaping or, or chewing, um, you're not alone. You're an amazing company. And anything that, that, that inhibits lung capacity during the coronavirus, yeah. you know, just reinforces that it's high time to do something. Uh, and that's, that's really why I wrote the book was one, to explain what the vaping crisis is, how it came to be. You know, it's very concerted, uh, a powerful marketing effort on the part of big tobacco and big vape. And then, um, and then it's just an addiction. So you have to treat it like there's a detox involved with it because your mind and your body is going to want to stay uh, with the substance that you know has trained you to 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 love it so. Uh, but it will never love you back. And uh, and there are really useful ways uh, to quit that are really uh, successful. So that's why I wrote it. I kind of thought, God, this book will never sell. Nobody will want to buy this book. In fact, my friends that vape would poo-poo me on, um, you know, saying, hey, would you let me try to help you stop? You know, they say, hey, you know, this is good for me. You know, it's, it's so much better for me than than uh, uh, smoking a, a lit traditional cigarette. And I say, is it? How do you know that? And they would spit out the talking points of uh, that were, you know, Big Tobacco's marketing uh, to them. And uh, uh, so I, I wrote the book thinking, um, maybe it'll help somebody. And then last summer, uh, when I sold the book uh, to uh, my to my publisher, um, something sort of remarkable happened. I was in Provincetown and I was just determined that I was going to finish this book that was literally, it was in my backpack for five years. I, I carry a paper copy of what I'm working on, what I'm writing. And my husband said, honey, are you ever going to finish that? He said, what are you working on? I said, oh, it's that bait book. I don't know if I'm, you know, it's the hardest, smallest book I've ever written. And, and then there was some new science that was coming uh, to light because there were the first real widespread studies that were giving data of what it was doing to us in our cardiovascular system and, and you know, this beautiful body as a whole that we have. And, uh, and while I was tidying it up and sending my agent a note, like, I think I'm going to finish this. And he said, I don't know, Lamb, I don't think that book's going to sell. Um, then the cases started to pop of people dying across the country. And it wasn't just from people vaping THC, which, you know, those cases, Big Tobacco publicized those cases like crazy online and paid for placement and pushed out stories about how, oh, you know, it's really a THC problem. It's not a THC problem. Our lungs are these beautiful three pounds that drive everything that we do because we've got to breathe. And so vaping is a, a direct frontal assault on that incredible tool that we have. Uh, and my hope is, you know, that it will, it will help people stop both with a detox and then a process to stay stopped. Yeah.
I, I'm really glad we're talking about this in, in using language like de detox process addiction. I'm really glad we are because I think for decades, the addictive nature of nicotine plus let, let, let's just be clear. If you ever want to look at what they really put into a cigarette, you can get all the ingredients, including uh, formaldehyde and a whole bunch of other things. And it's certainly a far cry from when grandpapa would be sitting on his deck down there in Virginia with a piece of tobacco he was chewing. And, you know, he knew where it came from. It's a far cry from then, but the addiction is still the same. And, you know, you bring up a really interesting point, Pat. It's a, it's a far cry or it's a long ways from the roll your own to, hey, it comes in a nice pretty box. And how that, how that occurred was when, when the boys went overseas uh, into war, the uh, government found, the U.S. government found that, God, they love those cigarettes. Those were proving incredibly popular and they reduced anxiety and they made them feel better. And there was a social contract around it. Hey, can I have a cigarette? And so we were given those dumb things away overseas. And so that generation came back, the greatest generation, as some have called it, and they were hooked. They were hooked in numbers never before seen on this new product that was uh, while cigarettes were not a new product, the pretty rolled ones in a pretty box marketed right. to us. Uh, that was a new uh, market, certainly, that took America by storm. And yeah, it certainly did. And yeah. you see, you, you saw it, like I said, you know, in TVs and movies with Mad Men, it was just something that people advertised. The original um, Lucky Strike commercials and Camel commercials, it became a whole marketable situation. And and even in the forward of your book, Dr. Oz really picked up the, 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 the torch, so to speak, as well. I saw in his forward talks about how nicotine and nicotine cessation had been a very large part of his life. So mm. he really was right there with you, Brad. That that forward is very impressive. Yeah, Mehmet, Mehmet told me years ago, and I had started, I was part of the launch of the Dr. Oz show. And the, those first three years, I did a lot of um, really uh, intervention work, but lifestyle intervention work too, that involved food and nicotine and, and uh, substance, substances for sure. But really looking at those things that are uh, part of our lives that are cutting our lives short, you know, and how can I do a little better? And back then, you know, he was a, a well-known heart surgeon uh, there in New York, and he had made a, a contract with his patients. If you smoke, I will not operate on you. And so he made nicotine replacement therapy and, and a quit part of his process, that pre-surgical process for those that smoked. And uh, he was very firm about it and still stays uh, firm with that, that if you're not willing to let him help you stop smoking, he's not going to go work on your heart because you're, you're probably going to die soon, uh, which is the stark reality of those of us over 50 who continue to smoke are damaging this thing that is needed as never before. Yeah. I mean, my family, I come from the whole thing, right? Smokers all the way through. Uh, dad, the heart. Stepmom, her heart literally exploded. She was a three-packer a day. Right, uh, sister uh, died on a hospital floor, asthma couldn't turn her over. Another sister, cancer, right? Uh, and the reason I'm sharing this is I come from, how do I say it? 
on my mom's side of the family, I come from a family of people that lived in Virginia and in the South, and they worked at one of the largest Mm -hmm. tobacco industry cigarette making companies on the planet. And so, you know, part of this, I watched every day them being infused. I mean, cigarettes are us. There was no question about it. Um, And at the same time, I want to ask you both this question. Slowly, we started to get information. And I say slowly. Now we have information, right, Brad? Um, Right, Ellen? We have it now. But if you go back four decades, right, slowly, and then what did we get? The Surgeon General. Mm-hmm. Are we still getting yeah. slowly with the vaping, or do we have enough? Well, here's here's the thing: on the Surgeon General's report with tobacco was a game changer because it helped it helped then public advocacy groups that were look they started to really study the public costs that were being borne by our tax dollars to uh, or pay you know paid for by our tax dollars to support those that needed care, critical, you know, end of life care because they were smokers. And so that was a turning point, not only for the, the packaging change, there had to be a warning on the packaging. And now, in, in fact, it's, it's even bolder than it was. For years, Europe uh, started showing the images of face, lung, jaw cancer, lungs that were just brutalized by uh, the impact of long-term smoking right on the um, on the box. But for the US, it was much slower. And what happened with the vape is very insidious. Um, uh, Barack Obama, President Obama, who I uh, did so many great things, uh, I think, for healthcare and for increasing access to care, he installed on um, uh, one, one of his senior positions at the FDA uh, uh, or F- at, at, uh, uh, HHS, a fellow who was on the board of Big Tobacco's big purchase of uh, a vape company. And so those initial reports that were really, it, it perfect world, it would have been uh, outlawed or um, regulated in some purposeful way back uh, 10 years ago. And that was divert, that tr- those truths were diverted and uh, diminished as they were reported because the um, committee to decide what are we going to do with this vaping problem had been uh, infected with Big Tobacco's uh, talking points. And it changed, at least for our generation, how it was sold. We saw these vaping, pro- these vaping stores pop up all around the country. And then they started uh, uh, infiltrating 12-step uh, fellowships like AA. And they started having... Uh, offering their space for 12-step meetings, and they would offer samples for people during the 12-step meetings. And so you could have vape meetings, where we used to have uh, smoking AA meetings were an option for years for folks. Uh, And I I think that really interrupted the correction that was occurring then because of the increased access to healthcare. And it was really a dollars and cents conversation. And it was like, okay, if we're going to spend all this public money on helping people have insurance and be healthier to mitigate end of life costs with diabetes and, and 
many preventable cancers and heart disease, we've got to have a conversation about vaping. And, uh, and it wasn't had because it was infiltrated. And I talk about that in uh, Quit Vaping, which, which I think is an interesting how, how it happened uh, narrative because it helps us really, if, if you vape, it helps you have a scapegoat. It helps create a villain in this, uh, in this effort to stop. And I think sometimes that is useful. I think we can use all different sorts of leverage to wrap our heads around change and in this case, we were duped and we were too dumb to know it. And people like me that were saying, hey, I think you're getting this data wrong, really didn't have a bully pulpit. And those that had a bully pulpit were uh, being paid in part by uh, the effort of big tobacco. That's amazing that you say, because people don't understand that correlation, okay? On a very basic level, the whole idea of vaping and using vaping as a way to stop smoking as early as maybe 2006, 2007, right. realized that this was all based on big tobacco and the whole feelings around nicotine because many people like regular people think that if i'm vaping then i'm not around nicotine okay people felt no matter what in the beginning that if i vaped i wouldn't be addicted to cigarettes anymore those were the myths that were being circulated that's what people believed and and ellen if we grabbed 100 people right now who vape we grabbed them and did a a, a, a survey uh, you know, many of them, uh, in some groups, the majority of them don't know that vaping is nicotine addiction, that at its, the, the active ingredient in, in vape is nicotine, which is sort of, it's incredulous, like, how could they not know? Uh, and then on the flip, there are those that are actually very educated users, consumers who are looking for the most nicotine for their buck. And they're looking for the highest nicotine level and they're they're tweaking their vaping device so that they get a higher mix of juice into their lungs um so there are those folks that you know are the uneducated consumers and then there are those that that actually know and they they want more they're working to engineer it uh for more but i'll tell you one one group that did not uh uh can never feign that they did not know is big tobacco. They knew that it was the perfected form of the cigarette. They knew that it was three times better absorption of nicotine into the mouth, into the uh, bloodstream, and then in the brain, into the brain. They knew that it was a beautiful way to hook the person that loved tobacco more than almost anything, but wanted to be healthier and were concerned about what it was doing to their insides, uh, even as it made their outside smell better because I know a lot of the people that were early adopters from uh, uh, cigarettes to vaping, you know, it smelled better. Uh, they didn't stink like uh, tobacco. It made a kind of a sexy gurgle sound, which always kind of creeped me out because I imagined that it was like cooking your, your yeah. you know, coating your lungs. But, um, you know, yeah. there, then there was also that beautiful plume of smoke, which was sort of like, hmm, that's interesting looking. What's that? And then if you walk through it, it, it smelled good often. It was like, mm, caramely and, or, or like, Oh, what's that? Oh, it's cotton candy, you know? And, and so they were, they were marketing to our generation uh, of teens, those that were new adapters. And they promised us that they would never market to kids, that this is really just to help smokers stop and that they were never going to do 
those things that they had hooked a generation in the 30s and 40s. And, but that's exactly what they did. They used the same playbook that Big Tobacco used back then to hook uh, our young, uh, our generation of kids with vaping. And so when, when the coronavirus started to uh, present itself as this, uh, you know, oh my God, how do we get it? Well, you know, really it, it comes in, uh, it's a virus and it's airborne, it seems like, and it's going to greatly impact our, our lungs. Uh, I knew that because many high schools and junior high schools were reporting hey, you know, most of our kids now vape, that this would be, you know, uh, we, we would not know what the long-term impact of it is for years. We just won't. We won't know what the vapor who's 18 or 15 or 13 who gets coronavirus, what long-term impact will that have on their lungs? Because we don't have a good, we don't have any studies that are showing, well, what about the 13-year-old that doesn't vape? Because so many of, of our kids are vaping. Yeah. Part of it, too, is, and, you know, um, I stay on top of all the research in my field as well as outside. And I have a friend who is really working very hard to get the information. And, you know, my, my friend says it's the issue is not that we don't know. It's that in order for us. So what he did is he said, in order for you to get something like this to the market, you check, you check, 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 check. It's in the market. You advertise. You put whatever spin. In order for us to study it, we got to study autopsies. <laughs> and he says, this is where the science is coming from, is, you know, that this is a national outbreak of vaping. This is a national outbreak. When you look at the numbers, just the way you're talking about your book, and you're seeing what this is about, people are clear, despite how many cases we have, the descriptions of this pathology and all of the underlying conditions are limited. They're limited to surgical lung biopsies and hospitalized patients and uh, autopsies. It's a terrible thing. But now, based on your book, you're, you're really able to answer some upfront yep. questions some, and really dispel some of the myths that have come up. So let me, let's go over a few things that you say in your book. Yep. Um, does vaping actually lead to smoking cessation? Will you smoke less if you vape? Oh, it's a, it's a great question, uh, Ellen. So if you don't eat pizza, you have quit eating pizza. If you replace the eating of the pizza with bread that has sauce on it and lots of cheese, that's, that's toast with sauce and cheese. But you have, in fact, not eaten pizza. So the core ingredient of vaping, the thing that compels addiction, is nicotine. And so that's the active ingredient in it. So it's, it really is a myth to say that hey, I quit smoking, and so I'm not addicted anymore. Uh, you know, you, you have quit smoking, so you smell uh, less smoky, uh, but you have replaced it with something that we have even less data on, but we know causes uh, circulation, uh, uh, respiratory, and mouth problems, and, uh, and you need to quit. You know, and then, and then in, the, in the book, I really, I break it down into these four steps so that we look at uh, how to plan the quit. And that's making the social contract with yourself and others, your support system. So you're building in leverage support 
it's really important to help you stay stopped. This is the drug that addicts more people on the planet than any other drug. And so I, I really challenge readers to plan your quit means you set the date, you share it with others, you ask for that support. And then you man step two is you manage the cravings. And we look at the real detoxification needed to get you unhooked from that incredibly addictive drug, nicotine. And I do that a few ways. I love nicotine replacement therapy. Just talking about nicotine, my mouth is so yummy and watery, it's insane. And I haven't had a cigarette in 15 years. I don't use nicotine replacement therapy, so I don't have any nicotine in me right now or haven't for years, but talking about it still provides that I have cravings for it right now. So imagine you vaped of uh, this powerful substance you're addicted to, and then you think about going cold turkey. So look at it as a real addiction that requires a detoxification so that you don't go nuts. And really more importantly, it's not that you know, you're gonna be so rude to somebody that they're never gonna talk to you again. It's that you relapse and you stop your quit. And so I love nicotine gum. I love the lozenge, especially because it gives a throat mouth feel that's similar to smoking. And the thing that I love the most that you, you can order on eBay and I give it away like candy around here is uh, nicotine nasal spray. You have to order it on eBay because believe it or not, it was approved for sale in the US, but because of pan the Corona pandemic, uh, it's been slowed down in terms of its entry to market. Uh, but use that nicotine detox because that is the biggest reason why people fail. If you go cold turkey, many people have gone cold turkey and quit. Most people who go cold turkey uh, and don't look at the detox and take the detox seriously, the post-acute withdrawal sy syndrome symptoms, uh, they will lapse back into the behavior and then live the quit. I, I use a, a breathing exercise called hand to mouth that helps strengthen the lungs, but also gives you a replacement therapy for the behavior that so many of us uh, really uh, uh, miss and longed for. And so it's a way to replace a behavior with something that is going to exercise the lungs and, and help uh, sustain a quit. And then finally, it's just practice it. I continue to practice my quit uh, 15 years later. And uh, sometimes I have to tell you, I will walk toward the smoke of a smoker on the street because I am drawn to it all these years later. And uh, I'm either repulsed or I want to knock it down, knock them down and grab their cigarette. Uh, honest, it, it is a powerful, powerful addiction that still talks to me in ways all these years later. Uh, and, and that's the four step quit that I've found over the years is useful with clients uh, that, that I've done interventions on, that I put in treatment, that I advocate they stop uh, while they get off heroin or meth or alcohol, because the, our studies show there, there is a really great uh, Hazelden study that I cite in the book that talks about how if you quit smoking and vaping while you're in treatment, the odds that you will be abstinent from your primary drug of choice at year one is much greater, 38% greater, because uh, it uh, using the, the nicotine will um, encourage relapse. It talks to the same center in the brain that uh, methamphetamine talks to, that cocaine talks to. That remember, it's it's a it's a depressive, and uh, 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 it gives you both the up and the down. And so, it's a tricky drug, and it's tough to quit. Well, yeah. you also mentioned that it is 
to be effective, the, the book title says a 28-day program, and we know that when it comes to going into treatment, we talk about 28 days because of the science of that. So can you address that a little bit and talk about why 28 days? Yeah, and then the other thing too, Brad, if you don't mind, is tell folks how they can find out more about you and find out about, and get their own copy of the book. Oh, sure. Uh, the, the, the book is available uh, through any, any bookstore online or in person. I haven't been in a bookstore since February, so I, I know that they exist, but I haven't uh, been there. Um, Amazon. Amazon. Amazon, of course. I love uh, supporting independent bookstores, which carry, carry the book too. And uh, it uh, came out on a major publisher. It's uh, Penguin Life. Uh, and so any place you get books, you can find Quit Vaping. Uh, the previous question, I forget what it was. 28 days, why? <clears throat> I think it's good to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. I, I will say this, that 28-day um, shtick that was created really by payers, uh, insurance providers years ago who said, okay, kids, you go into treatment, we'll cover you for four weeks. Yeah. It, it's a parameter that many of us know, and I thought that it'd be a, a useful way to say, look, you can get through this. It's less than a month and uh, it's, it's viable and you can do it uh, to the reader. And that's what we found too, that um, after a month of quitting and either tapering off of the nicotine replacement therapy or staying on it, frankly, I have friends and colleagues who have used nicotine spray and gum for 20, 30 years, doesn't hurt them. That will never give you a throat, mouth, rectal cancer, bladder cancer, lung cancer. Uh, it may, uh, it will make your pocketbook thinner, uh, but I'm all for uh, those uh, medication-assisted therapies. And that's what that is. That is nicotine replacement therapy. So if you need to stay on that, I say, go for it, kid. You're doing great. Uh, there's no shame in that. Uh, and uh, it's curious. I, I will say this, you know, I'm in 12-step fellowship. Uh, recovery and I was a meth addicted bulimic alcoholic who got better sort of to my surprise and you know that the hardest thing to quit of all that was giving up cigarettes yep. and so re recently here in Los Angeles um, my sponsor who had been in recovery many 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 years and he too had smoked and he he died suddenly from a, just a heart attack during this uh, this mysterious uh, time and um, I was at a 12-step meeting and I go to one that's on the beach on Saturdays that I've just started back to is a, a one that I would do every week and connect with my community and such. And uh, somebody knew that my sponsor had died. And he said, hey, hey, kid, you know, do you want me to sponsor you? Because he's I'm in recovery 18 years and he's in recovery longer. And I said, may I speak freely? And he said, yeah. And I said, I got to say, you, I, I said, may I really? Yes. And I said, I got to tell you, I couldn't ask you to be my sponsor because you're still living an active addiction. You smoke, what, two packs a day, sometimes more, he said. I said, you know, I, if you'll walk me to my, my Jeep, I'll, I'd like to give you a book that I wrote that I think could help you stop. And so it's really no judgment, but I'm not going to ask anybody to help me stay out of the hot water if there's still simmering uh, in it. And that's how I view uh, eating disorders. That's how I view other active mental health issues that plague so many of us. There's always room.
to work on ourselves and, and, and get better. And uh, this is really a call to love and action for my fellow humans, you know? We, we so often treat our dog better than we treat ourselves if we smoke or vape. And uh, I think we deserve better. I know I deserve better and I feel incredibly lucky that I got better. Uh, and this is a tool just to help people, you know, break through this really incredible and often impossible seeming addiction. Yeah, can I ask you a question? I mean, one of the things I noticed about it, my, my uh, table tennis coach vapes. And every time, um, right before the right before COVID, every time I saw him, or every day, pretty much, I would send him an article. <laughs> mm. What else to yeah. do? Um, and I and I'd have to send it in uh, English and Korean. Um, mm -hmm. But but the point is, is there a difference in cultures with this? You know, and what I mean by that is, I, I, is there a physiological difference, or is there a cultural difference? as to what we accept and don't accept or information. And I'm just curious about that. I have a couple of friends that live abroad and they look at us and say, you people, you people and all the smoking business you're doing. And I'm like, okay, like, well, what are you people doing? I mean, like what, is it like smoking everywhere? Well, I do know this, it, it part of it, and this is a big part of it, Dr. Pat, is uh, is answered by what is the country doing to regulate at inception? And so many countries in the EU have been very hard with regulation. And so they do not have a teen vaping crisis like we do. Uh, our drive to have more freedom, maybe, or my give me my liberty. I think, sure, yeah. <laughs> I think, I believe it doesn't include um, those things that harm us that uh, my taxes are going to end up paying for. Yeah. So I'm for uh, people wearing seatbelts and I want that to be regulated. I'm for motorcycle helmets being required because I want people to live, but I also don't want to be stuck with uh, my Aunt Susie's medical bill when that knucklehead rides off the cliff and we all pay for her care for 20 years when she's in the hospital. Now that didn't happen, but I do. I have family members that you know want to fight for the right to not wear a helmet, um, and yet they struggle. Uh, they would want regulation in other ways, and so I think it really goes to how this, how the nation and the U.S. has done an awful job with it. We really have been asleep at the wheel. But I, I think you mentioned South Korea. I will say this: I lived in Japan when I was um, a young, young guy. A younger person <laughs> after college I lived in Japan for a year and I smoked and so did it seemed like every other male human in Japan they smoked uh, and they loved it and there was a great there's a way that the Japanese hold a cigarette and it is cellular or it it's is. certainly cultural yep. and I, I will say I was back to Japan last uh, just a year ago uh, a year ago yesterday Pat I flew to Japan to visit for the first time in 30 years and I was struck by a few things. One was the shift uh, around public policy in smoking. Oh. I thought that Japan would be the last to encourage uh, prohibition indoors, at restaurants, in bars. But they, because of the huge cost to their healthcare dollars, had moved aggressively to curb uh, nicotine addiction. 
and it has not resulted in a country and they've been similarly hard edged with uh, vaping. And so you, you, I, I was surprised that I didn't see this huge explosion of vaping because they've done such a good job at cutting the uh, number of people who vape and, and we've done an awful job at it. Yeah. Brad, can you address some of the warning signs? Because the biggest things that I find with my clients is that parents come to me all the time. My son or daughter is vaping and they're vaping THC. And what do they look for? And how do they begin to talk to their children? Can you address that? Yeah, yeah it's such a good uh, question, good question, Ellen. You know, when I was a, a kid and I started smoking at 15, I had a Quaker family who didn't smoke, they didn't drink. And I would stumble in uh, loaded and smoky. And I remember clear as day, my mom would say, honey, have you been smoking? And of course I had been smoking. I smelled like an ashtray and I smelled like I'd been, you know, drinking Bartles and James wine coolers. Uh, and yet when given the, the incorrect answer, because I said, no, why would you say that about me? She relented. And so this is what I tell parents. Uh, one, if your kid vapes and it is likely they do drug test them test them for THC and test them for nicotine. It's a very simple saliva test. You can get it on, on the web. The, the, the best um, uh, test for uh, THC is urine. Uh, but I say, I, I love uh, testing to reinforce what the truth is. Because with vaping, you don't have that telltale sign of them smelling like an ashtray. Right. But you will hear a cough, you will hear that gurgle, you will find the vaping device, which looks like a pretty little USB drive. Right. If you, if you don't know better. Uh, and then, you know, I, I say verify the truth because it is, it is as likely as not that if you have a teenager living in your home or at college that you're paying for them to go to school in one way or another, uh, they are likely vaping and verify that they're not because it is a, a, a huge risk to their, their mental health. And it's also a predictor of their addiction to other substances because it perfectly primes the brain to accept those addictive uh, substance signals. Yeah, this is a really big issue for the workplace. Uh, and people in employment and in the workplace, unless they do random UIs, unless they do something, this is one of those things that, uh, you know, HR really walks a thin sheet of ice around a lot of this. Um, and at the same time, something has to be done because we are really at epidemic levels at, right here. Right. Um, I, I, I do think that, uh, and this is sort of the uh, illus uh, illustrative of the insidious nature of big vape, big tobacco, is when my first book first came out there, I was on Good Morning America and it, uh, coronavirus was just starting to take from the Trump headlines and sort of break through. Uh, it was not Corona all the time. It was still pretty much the, tr the you know, a Trump news cycle. And um, so we got a little, we just got out of the garage on our trip to share this book with America and uh, yeah, negative reviews started coming in. And they all read very similarly that uh, they, they were written by Big Tobacco. And I'm, I'm sure that there was uh, a concerted effort to downplay the risk. And then you might remember there was something called the French study that showed that in a small group of a study, a small a test group, that nicotine in the body 
actually was an inhibitor for the coronavirus. It wasn't accurate, but boy, what a great uh, response from your kid if you say, hey, you know, you need to quit smoking or your loved one, hey, I'm worried about you quit smoking. They go, oh my God, look at this. It's actually good for me. It will keep me from getting coronavirus. What an idiotic headline. And yet the French study was, uh, was not relegated to the heat bin, but instead I, start, I started to have to answer it. And so even on Good Morning America, uh, as I was re recording it, and it's sort of beautiful, Deborah Roberts works with ABC News and her husband is Al Roker. And I used to be a weatherman in Washington, D.C. before I got sober. And we had the same news agent called Conrad Shadlin. And so Deborah was doing the interview from home. Uh, Al Roker was her producer, was trying to help with the lights and stuff. And it was such a great thing. And then Deborah pulled up a note from her producer and she said, what about this uh, a French study? And I said, well, let me tell you about that French study because they have been very, very good, uh, big tobacco at getting the wrong word out and, and prohibiting uh, what should be normal regulations of anything that is consumed and inhaled into our most precious of commodities other than the earth. Uh, and that's, that's our bodies. Wow. Unbelievable. So, I mean, so all of those myths, I mean, you really, really do discuss them in the book. I mean, the fact that, that vaping doesn't, doesn't stop smoking cessation, that vaping is just as addic addictive as cigarettes, that vaping is also not FDA approved, correct? The other yeah. things? And that the, vaping is completely safe. I mean, some other myths that people think. Can you can you want to address a few more of those? Well, the, I think the one that I hear the most is um, that it's not dangerous. And um, I, I just spoke with the a dear friend of my my friend Daniel, who is from Michigan, and he at seventeen. I mentioned at the of our the top of our conversation, Dr. Pat Nellen, about him, and he was at Henry Ford Hospital in Michigan uh, and in, in the nation, as I understand it, the very first double lung transplant who was that young. And it was, it was strictly because uh, the damage he had done to his lungs because of nicotine vaping. Mm -hmm. And Daniel is alive. He's plugging away. He used to run track. He does not run track anymore. He doesn't run. And the statistics for him are devastating. The statistics are that he will live less than five years. He takes daily a daily regimen of anti-rejection drugs to help keep those lungs in him because, you know, those are somebody else's lungs. And that is a very uh, a new uh, technology that allows for lung transplants anyway. You know, I, I have a niece who has um, cystic fibrosis and so have spent time in writing this book at um, uh, uh, Salt Lake City's Children's Hospital and, and the cystic fibrosis unit because they're really at the cutting edge of what do we do with damaged lungs, people with damaged lungs, because kids with humans uh, with cystic fibrosis, that's where the damage really lies because their, their lungs get just gummed up with mucus and they then get scarred and you, you essentially suffocate if, you're, if you have CF. Um, and so with that in my family, I was so curious, you know, uh, when people were talking that, well, lung transplants are the answer. If you, if you muck up your lungs with vaping, if you're one of those rare cases, 
then, you know, just get a lung transplant. I'm like, trust me, brother, that is not the answer. If that's the answer, I, I'm a, you know, I've got a, a bridge I'd like to sell you. Right. But, right. Uh, the truth is the truth. And the myths are the myths that our lungs are this incredible ecosystem that uh, takes oxygen from the air that we breathe, gives it to our brain, pumps our, pumps our heart, allows us to, to walk, live and thrive. And anything that we're taxing it with, whether it's outdoor pollution uh, or something as insidious as vaping every 22 minutes or 30 minutes or 50 minutes, as so many do, uh, is not only a bad idea, but uh, I hope that the myths that it's healthy or a fine replacement for cigarette will go the way of the dinosaurs because it's just not true. Yeah. It, one of the things you touch upon in your book, and I know we don't have time to get to take a deep dive, is the socio-psycho, uh, psychological aspect of it in the collective consciousness, meaning that I'm hanging out with you. Great news is you stop smoking and you're vaping. And mm -hmm. I'm sitting there and I don't have the knowledge in your book. And I say, I'm so glad you're not smoking because to general population, right, Brad? To the general population, oh my gosh, anything but smoke, anything mm -hmm. but smoking. And that's why your book is so seriously important because no, no, that's not true. So we, we have to just educate the person, right? The person with the addiction with vaping, but there's this whole other group community that says, thank God you're not smoking. You're just vaping, just vaping. Maybe that's your next book. <laughs> well, and I, and I think the book does a, a, a rich job of, if I say so myself, because I love to write and I really, I poured my heart into it because I do love so many people who vape and I don't see it as, I have not bought uh, the lies that it is uh, a tool to quit. It's simply another addiction with uh, in part unknown long-term effects, but it's certainly uh, no better than cigarettes. And it very, very well may be worse than cigarettes. Uh, Brad, thank you so much. Brad Lamb's book is Quit Vaping, Your 28-Day Program to Stop Smoking E-Cigarettes. We are so thrilled to have you. It's so good to see you. It's been a while. Ellen, it's great to see you, Dr. Pat. Hello in Seattle. I was born in Wenatchee. Oh, there you go. I grew up in Oregon. I just love it up there. So thinking of you during all this mystery. Yeah, thank you. And I want to make a comment on your book. Um, the book, while it may seem like it is for those that are vaping, I am highly encouraging anybody out there, if you are even curious about what your kids are doing, what your spouse is doing, what your partners are doing, if you're even curious about the health and well-being of someone that you love, this book is for you, and then this book is for you for them. You've been listening to Recovery Recharged with Certified Life and Recovery Coach, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx. Don't miss your next opportunity to let me help you recharge your recovery, let go of your secrets, and change the way you think, feel, and act right here on TransformationTalkRadio.com.